Welcome to the Victory Life Church podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at blcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. I want to talk a little bit about that last week that Jesus was on this earth. And there's, there's so many things we could cover this time, but when I think about that last week that Jesus was on the earth, it reminds me of many funerals that I have presided over. And I, I, t- I entitled the message at funerals, it's a sad, especially for a Christian, but a happy time. For a believer, it is a sad, but is a happy time. Sad because they no longer have, they're not going to get their email at this human address anymore. They're not going to receive any more texts, no more phone calls, no more visits. So it's, it's a sad time to see your loved one to go on and be with the Lord. But it's a happy time for that individual. And you should be happy for that individual too. And not be selfish and say, God, I want to hang on to this person. You, by the way, a lot of people have gotten mad at God because they took away someone that they love very much. You must always be willing to release to God what is not yours. Everything belongs to God. So if God decides he wants to take a loved one on a little early and start letting that individual enjoy his glory, why would you want to interfere in that? So today I want to mention a few things that I thought about when Jesus spent his life on this earth in that last five, six days. The first thing I want you to think about is what you do for God. There's about four or five lessons. What you do for God will be remembered. And it reminds me of the passage of Scripture when Jesus was camped out at Mary and Martha and Lazarus' house. And the things that were about to transpire were not very good. But there was some good things, though, that he began to articulate to all of us. But while he was in this home, here's what took place in Matthew 26, 7. A woman came to him with an alabaster jar of a very expensive perfume, which he poured on his head as he was reclining at the table, just so you kind of know where he's at. Again, he's just on the east side of Jerusalem, uh, sort of in the slopes of Mount Olive. And he's at Mary and Martha's house and Lazarus' house. And most theologians believe Simon the leopard was either Martha's brother or he was Mary and Martha and Lazarus' daddy. And they're at their home. And boy, they had, didn't they have so much to be thankful of? Simon the leper was healed. And uh, Mary and Martha had prayed, and they thought Jesus didn't answer their prayer. But only after their brother died, he came and he did answer their prayer in a greater way than they ever anticipated. And he raised Lazarus from the dead. Oh, they had so much like you and me to be thankful for to God. And she was, and she showed it. 
around that table by opening an alabaster box full of perfume, which he poured on his head and in some other books of the Bible, also on his feet as he was reclining at the table. Of course, not having their spiritual antennas on, the apostles or the disciples saw this and they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. All of a sudden, they're thinking about the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. Now, I want to bring out a couple situations. One is a lot of things that religious people do. And by the way, you're going to be seeing this brought up over and over again in this morning's message. Because Jesus has a lot to say about the people that you and me look to. And there's a lot of things you and me see on television that are held in high esteem by religious leaders. And you think, wow, great will be their reward when they get to heaven based on all the things I hear about and see them doing. And the large congregations they have, wow, God's going to be rewarding them in a big way. But I want to remind us in a sad way and then in a positive way about the things that we seemingly do for God. A lot of what you see on television, a lot of what you see around the churches of America will not last, but they will be burnt up because they've been fooling America. Now, remember, when Jesus addresses these religious leaders, you're thinking, how can he come down so hard on the religious leaders? Because they were the very people that you were to go to, that sinners were to go to, to find the truth and find their way to heaven and to the Father. He reminds us, and every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. He said, by their fruit, you'll recognize basically believers in God. And he reminds us and them that their work will be shown for what it is because the day, the judgment day, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burnt up, the builder will suffer loss now, he's talking to believers, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. They asked, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? A year's wages. You see, she did something that many of us would think was insignificant, but she did something that will be remembered and has been remembered for over 2,000 years. Matthew 26, 13, Jesus reminds us of this fact. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told 
and memory of her. There's a lot of things you think compared to the giants you see on television and in the churches throughout our land and throughout the world. You think, I've done nothing, and it pales in comparison to what Billy Graham has done, and perhaps God won't even remember what I've done for him. But see, something so small as this has been told for over 2,000 years. And I want to encourage you this morning that there are things that you have done for the Lord Jesus Christ that he will not forget and he has remembered and will remember and will reward you for that. Can you think of a couple other incidences in the Bible where perhaps only one thing was said about that individual in the Bible and it has been remembered? What about when baby Jesus came into the temple and there was a lady and a man that was there. And what they did has been remembered for over 2,000 years. And you might think, that's insignificant. But to God, it's not. He said, if you give a cup of cold water to someone that's poor and you do it in my name, you will be rewarded for it. They were faithful to be in that temple because God told Simon or Simon that, listen, you stay here. You're not going to die. You can fly, get on a train, get on a boat. You can jump out of a plane. You're not going to die until you see Jesus. How would you like to have that prophecy given to you? Man, there'd be a lot of bold things you and me would be doing in the name of Jesus. I can't be touched. He was faithful into the temple. And then he saw baby Jesus. And you wonder, what was it? Did something happen? Did the baby speak? How did he know that that was Jesus? Well... God opened his eyes. That one thing he did in the temple when he told Joseph and Mary, he is the Messiah. And it has been remembered for over 2,000 years. And there was a lady in there too. And she spent, after she got, her husband passed away, she stayed serving God for the rest of her life. And she did not remarry. And she also saw baby Jesus in the temple and told Mary and Joseph about that. And that story has lived on for over 2,000 years. But there's another story that has made a profound impact. And the guy barely said a sentence or two. And he's been remembered for over 2,000 years and has provided hope for a lot of people. Can you think of what that was? Dun, 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 dun. The thief on the cross. The thief on the cross never did anything his whole entire life. But don't think so much about the thief. I want you to think about Jesus, what he did for the thief. All he did was said, we deserve what we got. He, you don't deserve what you got. Would you remember me, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus said, today. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. That story has been told for over 2,000 years. Saints, you have been serving God. You have been doing what you would call the little things. You've been over there in children's church, and and they're serving over there, taking care of the noisy kids so you have a, a little bit more of a peaceful setting so you can hear the word of God and worship him without your kids running around in between you. God remembers those things that you have been doing for him. So be encouraged today. Continue to be faithful in those small things, and I will make you ruler over 
many things. Well, another thing I think about lessons I learned in the last week that Jesus walked the face of this earth, I'll call it prophecy that has been fulfilled. Jesus knew it was time for prophecy to be fulfilled. Remember, he came into Jerusalem riding on a what? Mighty white horse, right? Okay, I see someone's awake. (laughs) Boy, don't raise your hand, whoever said that. (laughs) He said in Zechariah 9.9, this happened the last week. Jesus was on the face of this earth. He's ready to be the king over all Israel. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughters Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the full of a donkey. While that was happening, it's amazing, they brought it to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God and in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now it's amazing that Jesus knew that prophecy must be fulfilled and he must come riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. It's amazing that the religious leaders, again, here we go, back on the religious leaders. Jesus is warning us over and over and over again. Open your spiritual eyes. See the times that you're living in. The religious leaders heard all about and saw all the miracles that Jesus had been doing. In fact, when he was in a church service and healed a man's shriveled up hand, they didn't get glad. They got mad. And they wanted to kill him. Then he raises Lazarus from the dead. They don't get glad. They get mad. And they make plans to kill Jesus. These are the religious leaders that stand in the pulpits of America and around the world and are allowing evil to infiltrate the church. The people that you and I look up to. And God has warned us in his last week on the face of this earth. Be on your guard. I'm going to give you some clues to look at when the religious leaders don't know the signs of the time they're living in. Don't put confidence in them. Put confidence in his word. Here's what the religious leaders said about some of this. In Luke 19, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus. Now, now, before I get to this, it it may seem kind of weird me picking on these religious people. But if someone stood in the pulpit today and began to speak about some of the religious leaders that you open your heart and your television set to on a regular basis, you Preacher, why are you saying things about these guys? Now, I haven't mentioned anybody yet, so I'll try to do my best not to mention anybody yet. And you remind me not to mention anybody, okay? 
But what if Jesus was standing here today warning you of all these religious leaders? That's what he was doing in his day. These were the, these were the great heavyweights of the greatest religion in the world. And people flocked to them. And they spent money there. And they traveled all over to see and hear these religious people. And Jesus had very, very little good to say about these leaders. And yet you're embracing all these religious leaders as if they were God himself. And many of them are leading churches and people astray, doctrinally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically. Paul warned us of that. Jesus warned us of that. Moses over and over warned, when I go, you're going to marry into other cultures, you're going to marry foreign women, and you're going to embrace their gods, and you're going to stop serving me. Moses warned everyone of that. John the Baptist warned everyone of that. The apostle Paul warned everybody of that. And Jesus in his last week warns us of this. And yet you get your dandruff up if we mention one thing about some of these religious leaders who look so wonderful and so beautiful and dress so nice and seem so eloquent and are so big and so large. How dare you say anything against them? And yet little by little they're subtly deviating from God's word and teaching that to you and me. He goes on to say, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. <laughs> he said, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And so as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, I love to read about Jesus because you really see the love and compassion and mercy God has for his people. He wept over it. When's the last time we wept for a plantation? For the city of Fort Lauderdale? Or the condition we find our country in? Have we shed any tears? Are we emulating Jesus? He said, if, if you, even you, had known on this day what would bring you peace, here I am, I'm right here, you heard all about the miracles. No one's ever done the things I've done. You can't see with your eyes how blind you are. But now, all these things that you've heard, you've seen, you're not going to know anymore. He said, they will be hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side, and they will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming. Jesus said, if the, in, in Luke 23, 31, you might jot that down, he said, if they will do these things while the tree is green. What will happen when it is dry? If they'll do that while God is present on earth, what would they do when he's gone? Is basically what he's saying. What's amazing, though, about prophecy, it was the simple sinners that saw everything that Jesus was speaking about. It wasn't the religious people that went to college and seminary and got their doctorate degrees it was the common people who hadn't gone to seminary and college but saw the things that Jesus did. Remember, 
In Luke 5, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belong to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you, Jesus, eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinner. And Jesus continued in Matthew 21, the blind and lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Here's how the religious leaders acted. But when the chief priest, that would be like one of the top Christian dogs in our country. That's who he's speaking to. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, Jesus replied. Have you never read? Did you ever open your Bible? Or is it sitting on your table in your home or on your nightstand? If you'd open up and crack open the Bible and really read it, it said, from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. Isn't it amazing? Here we are in the last days. I do believe we're living in the last days. Do you agree we're living in the last days? Amen? And a lot of people don't see the signs of the time. And it was sinners that just got saved that perceived that Jesus was the son of the living God. It was not the pastors in the churches throughout the land and throughout the world. Guys, you, you think I may be stretching it? But just think, go back and Jesus is talking to, you guessed it, all the pastors and the clergies that existed in his day. Wide is the path that leads to destruction. Broad is the gate that leads to destruction. Narrow is the path that leads to eternal life. And small is that gate. Jesus warned us in advance. Not necessarily to go along with popularity. God will help you and me see the things that are right before our own eyes today. Then I think about something else in this last week that ties into everything I'm saying. Again, it's a sad time, but it's a happy time. He did a lot of rebuking in that last week. <laughs> he, he rebuked the tree. You think, well, what the heck did the tree do that the tree got rebuked? I mean, it was just standing there minding its own business. No, it wasn't minding its own business. It wasn't doing what it was supposed to do. So Jesus is making his way out of Bethany, back into Jerusalem, and he rebukes a tree. Imagine a tree. Remember, he said, if we don't praise him, the rocks will quiet, cry out and praise him. Imagine what the trees will do. They'll be swaying. Well, he gave us an object lesson on faith as well as a rebuke in that particular passage. Seeing a fig tree by the road in Matthew 21, he went up to up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. <laughs> he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately, the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did that fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. I mean, 
They're still not getting it. They're talking the Son of God. They, they were in a boat with him, and when he told the wind to shut up and be still, when he told the sea to calm down, and when he raised the dead, isn't it amazing? They, they still didn't get it. Sometimes look at all the things that God has done for you and me. Only within the next day or next week or next hour, next minute, we turn our backs on him. He said this, though, truly I tell you, if you had the faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what has been done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. I don't know. I tangled with God about this last week or this week and said, God, are, are we, did you? Now, he gave the authority to the 70, right? He gave the authority to the 12. So do we have any authority today? We have authority over the enemy, right? Who has he left the authority to? The church. He has left the authority to the church to do great and mighty things in his name. So we need to begin to ask the question, whose fault is it? God's fault or our fault? Does he still want to do great and mighty things? Is he still advancing his kingdom? How is he going to advance his kingdom? In signs and wonders. And one of the greatest wonders is when a heathen begins to cry out to God and begin to praise him. Well, Jesus is on a roll now. He rebukes the tree, and then he goes into the temple, and he starts continuing rebuking in the house of God, in the church. Oh, yeah, in the church. Oh, Jesus wouldn't come into the churches today and rebuke people, would he? Oh, you don't know him. Here's what he said when he came into the temple into the church. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it into a den of robbers. All throughout America, I see so many of our churches that are businesses instead of a house of prayer. Jesus rebuked the religious leaders for turning his place into a place of business instead of a place of worship. This was the pinnacle of all places to worship God, Jerusalem, the temple that he rebuked. Not only the rebuke, the temple, businessmen and business leaders but also, if you begin to read in Matthew 23, once again, it was all the religious leaders of our day now put us back into his time that he begins to spew out, you hypocrites, you hypocrites, you hypocrites, because they were deceiving the people that were trying to come to God to find salvation. Here's what he said in just two, two quick ones. Matthew 23, verse 2 said, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seats. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Now, am I trying to say to you that I'm the only preacher that's preaching the truth? No. I'm not trying to say that at all, but Christians need to open up their eyes very clearly to see what's going on around them. After all, it's recent converted sinners that seem to be able to understand the truth better than those who've been to college and seminary and have their PhDs. 
It's the common people that seem to advance the kingdom of God. He said about these religious people, think about them. Everything they do is for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels on their garments long. In other words, our religious leaders, Jesus is saying, a lot of what they do, put on your spiritual antennas. You see, we prayed around our athletes. We prayed around our successful businessmen and women. And so, you know, the religious leaders say, well, we, we want to be like them too. Start praying us around. We want to sit at the best seats. We want to always be the one called upon to pray. We want to have the largest audience. We want everybody to come see us. Instead of, uh, like what one minister told Jacob and I this week as we were talking to him, or someone said, you know, when the church gets big enough where you have to have multiple services, he says, well, what about starting new churches instead of making your name famous? I've always thought this for many years. Why does your name have to be in every single church? Are you saying the church is not going to grow and exist unless your face and your name is there? Now, you may say that's easy for you to say because you don't have these multiple churches. But who, who are we pointing people to? Are we pointing them to us? Or are we pointing to him? That's what Jesus warned us about when he's telling us these passages. These religious leaders do everything because they want the praise of men and women, just like our athletes and our singers do. He said to us about them, woe to you teachers. Here's one of the big reasons why he warns us. You teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Oh, my. I, wow. You travel over land and sea. You get on these fancy jets that you have about two or three of them, and you have houses everywhere you go to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, ha, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Do you understand why Jesus warns you and me about these religious leaders? And you might get mad if I pick out something little. If they divert from the truth and they begin to permeate the church with it, with it, you as believers need to stand up. Some people think that we have no accountability as pastors. I said, listen, we got enough strong people in this church, men and women, that if Jacob and I began to spiral away from God's word, we would have a lot of people confront of us. In fact, we might have a lot more no's. I heard someone say no a while ago that, that would speak loud and clear. Preacher, you aren't preaching the truth. Because we have a lot of people in this place that love Jesus Christ. And they would be able to distinguish between what, what's right and wrong. But he warns us over and over again. Who are the people that you hold in high esteem, that you listen to on the radio, that you watch on the television, that's even here in Fort Lauderdale, we're going to go from this church to this church to that church to this church to that church, because we, they, they must be doing something special down there. Jesus warns us, Satan is not going to come in the pulpit dressed in a red suit with a pitched fork and a pointy tail and pointy ears then you would know for sure it's the devil. And if he came in here, started saying some other things that were not truthful, you would easily detect it. 
But he's going, that preacher or those churches are going to do the very same thing that Satan did in the garden. He didn't say there's no God to Adam and Eve. But he began to challenge God on what he said. And so these preachers stand in the pulpits of America. They did it in our Lord's day and they were leading people astray. And they led the whole nation of Israel astray and even the Roman government astray to tell them to kill Jesus. Don't tell me these ministers can't lead you astray today and you're walking around saying, oh, they love him. Listen with your ears and your spirit to find out what they're saying. If it doesn't line up with the word of God, you check the box and go, I'm moving on. Well, there's a few people that like the truth here, I see. Then he went into Jerusalem, another rebuke. So you're going to find all about how we rebuke the religious leaders, but then he goes in and he rebukes Jerusalem, the hub of true spiritual worship for the whole world. He goes in and says, it's over with. Ichabod, I'm going to destroy you off the face of this earth. That's how much bad you have done to the people of God and all over the entire world. They know about it. He destroyed it. He says to them, when the apostles ask, oh, isn't this such a beautiful church? Isn't it wonderful? Oh, they love you, God. People from all over the world come here. You ordained this place to be a a beacon of light to the world. Oh, isn't this an awesome place, Jesus? Hmm. He said, do you see all these things? Truly, I tell you. Not one stone will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. And then he begins to warn us in chapter 24. This is the last week he's on the face of this earth. He begins to warn them in Jerusalem that destruction is coming. And too many eschatological theologians try to tell us in Matthew 24 that everything's for the end, 2,000 years, 3,000 years, instead of reading the scripture in context that much, if not most of what's being said, had everything to do with the destruction of Jerusalem and to wipe out the whole Jewish system. And now the real light would be the Jews and the Gentiles together. Spreading the good news all over the world, not Jerusalem as the center hub. It was finished. Jesus, God, loved Jerusalem. He warned them, let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in the winter or on Sabbath. Truly, here's the key phrase that many theologians try to take out of context. Remember, this is what I got my doctorate in eschatology, but the problem is I don't know more than I knew back then, so I'm still confused. But there are some things you and me can know. There are some things you and me can know. It says, this generation and too many theologians, too many PhDs have tried to communicate to you and me that's for two, three thousand years from now. That was that generation. He said, it's all all the blood of all the prophets that you killed, including the Son of Man, is coming on this generation. Did his word come true? Absolutely. 
Now, why are theologians going to come to this and try to, the literalists will try to say, oh, well, wait a minute. He's talking about the generation in the last days. No, it's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. He did a lot of rebuking before he left this place. Moses did the exact thing. He did a lot of rebuking because he said, I know what's going to happen. You're stubborn. And you're going to walk away from God and you're not going to listen to the things we taught you and told you. Did it happen? Absolutely. He also taught us about the right way to get things done. What an example Jesus was to you and me in that upper room when the apostles are sitting around jockeying for position in his new kingdom. They're being just like the people in the world and a lot of, like a lot of our religious leaders. You see, the apostles were emulating the religious leaders that lived right before them. And Jesus taught them the right way and the wrong way. You see, Jesus said, I came to be served. I came to serve and not to be served. And then he gave a big example. And what was that example? He took off his outer cloak, took a basin of water, and began to wash all those in the room's feet. That job was reserved for what we would call a low, 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 low blue-collar worker that would do that. He demonstrated, God himself demonstrated to those apostles and to you and me and to us religious leaders how we're to behave ourselves and conduct ourselves amongst the people of God and the lost world. We are to be servants of the Most High God. And Peter, full of pride, in John 13 said, he came to Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? He said, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. And there's that emotional outburst that we have all done in our lives, and Peter did the same thing. You ain't washing my feet. Well, uh, some of your feet, if I, I saw them too, I probably wouldn't wash them either. He said... Lord, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus said, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And, of course, clearly telling us that we need the washing of the blood that we sang about a while ago. We need to be washed in the blood. Are you washed in the blood? Then Peter overreacts the other way. Went from one extreme to the other extreme, which we've all done. I'm not going to pick on Peter when I get to heaven. He could pick on you and me. All the things that we did do and didn't do, he said, okay, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And then Jesus had to correct them theologically also. And when he said, those who've had a bath, those who've been saved, need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. Basically saying, no, you got saved, okay. You, you've, you've, you, you, sin no longer has a mastery over you, but yes, you, as you become like me, you are going to fail and stumble and sin, and I have provisions for you when that happens. And so you just need to ask me to forgive you, and I will. The big thing that he left us with in John was 
the right way to the Father. You see, you and me talk to many people and they try to tell us there are many paths that lead to God. How arrogant of you preachers and teachers and Christians that try to tell the whole world there's only one way to get to heaven. Well, the scripture clearly tells us that there's only one way to the Father. In John 14, he said to doubting Thomas, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Because Jesus said he's leaving them, but soon after they'll be able to be with him and they'll be able to follow him. Thomas is going, well, we don't know where you're going. Jesus said very clearly a passage we love to quote, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Mormonism, Hinduism, going to church, being good, giving all your money to the poor. No, there's only one way, he said, that's through me. You come into the Father, you got to come through me. That's what he's saying. We've seen many television shows. Yeah, you can't come to him unless you come to me, man. You want to get to him, you got to come to me, right? You hear that? Some macho guys say that. Well, Jesus said, you ain't, you ain't getting to him unless you come to me. Well, he said in a little nicer way. Proverbs tells us there seems, there, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. So all many, 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 many preachers and teachers and clergymen across America are not teaching this fundamental truth that Jesus is the only way. They are beginning to compromise all throughout our land. Our churches are becoming weak because we have allowed this to be preached in our pulpits of America. Some of you are probably sitting here, well, preacher, I came here to feel good. And I'm not leaving so good. Listen, if you're a believer here and you love Jesus, this is all good stuff because you know it's the truth. If it's not coming across to you good, you, you might not know him and you're offended. But I will leave you with this. The greatest thing, not only did Jesus pray for you and me, but he died for you and me. As I set the stage for next week when Jacob preaches on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we must not forget. It's a sad but happy time, but Jesus went to the cross for you and me. It's so easy to explain to everyone that Jesus Christ said that I would have to die for your sins. So when you're talking to people, as I had a chance to do it this week and explain to someone, a couple people this week, hey, listen. You're a criminal. What? I didn't do anything. Yeah. What do you mean you didn't do anything? You stood before God right now. We'd begin to judge you. There'd be a long unfolding list, right, of all the things that you and me have done and you haven't been caught. Those are criminal activities in God's kingdom. And someone has to pay a price for those criminal things that you did and that I did. How are you going to pay for it? God requires justice. He loves you. He loves you so much that he sent a son, but he requires justice for your rebellion and my rebellion. So Jesus said, listen, I'm going to take your punishment. I'm going to take your punishment. God's going to pour out his wrath that was meant for you, meant for you. And Jesus said, I'll take it. I'll take, I'll take it. 
God poured out his wrath and his judgment on him instead of you and me. That's what he did for you and me. And the scripture tells us in Luke 23, two other men, both criminals, now there were the real criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there. Who crucified him? Well, the world did, but it began with the very people that God came to, first and foremost, to the Israelites. And they crucified him. But remember, everyone was involved in the crucifixion. The Romans were. You and me were. If there was no one in the world but just you, Jesus still had to come and die for you so that you could be forgiven. So there's no blame game here. I I know there are many, many Jewish people maybe listening online or here. We're we're not trying to blame like some old uh, ignoramus Christians or ignoramus, you know, Jewish Christians. This is just how it unfolded. He came to his own and his own received him not. But to them that believe in him, to them he gave them the power to become sons of God. But here's what Jesus said while he was hanging there on the cross, enduring the wrath of God, the punishment. I've received beatings in my life, and I've received a beating with a cord this thick, probably about 30, 40 lashes. Nothing like our Lord and Savior did, who took the lashes of God for you and me, for every single of rebellion that you and me have committed against him. He took it for you and me. That's the good news. It's a sad news, but it's good news what Jesus did for you and me. Father, forgive them. That's what Jesus said. Forgive them. Then he began to say, after he received the drink, he said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. So he died for you. Is that where it all ended? Well, just a little bit of a glimpse of what we're going to speak on next week. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And the good news Jesus told Mary, Martha, and the ladies, I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. Seems like an oxymoron, right? And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Why did he do it? This is the last scripture I'll read in Hebrews 12, 2. You're wondering, why did Jesus do all this? Why why would he go to the nth degree to leave heaven and die for people that weren't even thinking about him? Their, Their minds were not on him at all. It would be like you giving up your son for all the people in jail, and they could care less or not even thinking about your son, and your son takes the punishment for all the criminals in jail. That's exactly the picture we get. Nobody was thinking about him. Everyone has gone astray. There's none that seeketh after God, no, not one. You see the love that he has for you and me? Why, why did he do it? You kind of scratch your head and go, why did he do it? You have the answer? No, I won't put you on the spot. Here's the answer. Hebrews 12, 2. 
for the joy, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, hanging out there, either almost naked or naked, we don't know for sure, the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And the Bible says in Luke 15, 7, there is rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. Would you stand at this time, please? If you're here today, you've heard enough scripture, or if you're looking in online, you've heard enough scripture to give your life to Jesus Christ, perhaps for the first time, or to rededicate your life back to God. Say, God, I surrender. I want to live for you. We'd love to know about that. If you'll comment in the tag section and let us know, we'll be sure to get back in touch with you. If you're here today and you've decided to follow Jesus, we'd love to know that. Come forward while we're continuing to worship God. I'll be up here and some others will be up here to receive your prayer request if you have any prayer needs or to say, you know, I want to come and be baptized. I've given my life to Jesus. If God's speaking to you today, please be obedient to him. We're preaching the saints, but perhaps some people have scooted in and they weren't saints yet, but they want to become one. That invitation is for you. What Jesus did on the cross, he said, it's finished. Are you saying, God, it's finished? I'm tired of my sin. I want eternal life. Would you make that decision today as we sing? Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way, everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.